Hey, everybody. This is Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where we talk with leaders about the moments in their life when they cross that line from leading with their head to leading with their heart and from leading with their heart to leading with their head. Today on the show, we have a really incredible leader. His name is John Joseph, and I'm just going to be really honest with you. I truly was surprised when I got into this podcast with John. Uh, now, John has a, an incredible resume. He, he's an attorney. Uh, he's, he's been a, a graduate of, the, of all kinds of, of institutions, including the Alabama Leadership Initiative. He has been in his life um, on a plethora of boards. He was a student body president at the University of Mississippi. Uh, he received a fellowship to Eagle Rock School and, and Professional Development Center in Colorado. Uh, he has worked for the American Youth Policy Forum in Washington, D.C. He's just an amazing man, brilliant man. So when we got into our conversation today, I was really I was surprised at how quickly John just went into the depths of wisdom and insight and was so vulnerable about the struggles in his life, and he's had some. So what he took out of those struggles, quite frankly, um, I will take with me for a long time. He really, really inspired me today. I just really enjoyed this conversation, and you're going to enjoy it too. So I'll hush so we can get right into this conversation with John Joseph. Well, I'll tell you what, we have an exciting podcast today. Uh, I mean, we have the real deal today. That, that's the way I say that about you, John. John Joseph, an amazing leader, not just in this community, but across the state and beyond. Uh, I can't wait to get into your life story today. Thank you so much for being with us on Crossing the Line. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in because I want to get this out. I want I want people to be able to hear from you and and can we just uh, to, man your introduction that that you know we just heard with amazing things that you've done and we're gonna get there. I want to get there, but I want to go back. I, I want to start back when you were a child. You know, crossing the line, we kind of love to hear the stories of leaders like yourself, successful leaders who have poured back into the lives of others, but. But you had to get here. You had to get to the place that you could pour back into the lives of others. So let's go back to, to John as an eight-year-old. Tell us where you were. Tell us about a day in the life of John as an eight-year-old. Sure. So I grew up here in Decatur. Uh, I was gone for 17 years. Uh, our family moved back in uh, 2013. But, uh, you know, the story of my childhood is I, I grew up in a grocery store. I grew up stocking shelves, making change, meeting all kinds of different people um, because my grandfather owned a grocery store where one minute the mayor might come in and want a, you know, a ham and cheese sandwich. And the next minute, someone whose life has been destroyed by mm. drug or alcohol addiction would come in. And the thing that really stuck with me, and it has nothing to do with, with me. I, mm. I feel like God just blessed me to be in that place. But I watched those people be treated exactly the same. Wow, that's good. I'd watch a person who's got a good reputation and a tie on, and they just won whatever award come in, and, and they would be treated with respect. Mm. But I'd also see a, a man um, not walk in, crawl in, uh, having been drunk the night before, drunk the morning of, and and crawl, literally crawl into the store uh, barking. And I'd see someone help them get into a chair, help them get a cup of water, help them 
have this, that same ham and cheese sandwich. Wow. And so that really stuck with me that I don't have inherently more or less worth than anyone. And the same is true for everyone else. Mm. But it just established this idea of a person has value. Yeah. Apart from what can they do for you or who do they know Mm. or whatever. And, And that has served me really well in terms of just building trust with people. Because I I don't, and I'm not saying I do it so perfectly. I'm not trying to hold myself out as some kind of model. But I do try to treat people with a threshold level of respect. I hope that they will reciprocate. But it's not out of any sense of righteousness. It's just out of a sense of you, you have value for who just for being a human being. That's right. Regardless yeah. of what you do. Yeah. Those are different things. So good, John. And you you learned that as a child working in your grandfather's yes. store. And I just watched that happen. Wow. And, you know, we would deliver hams around Christmas time. And so one ham would be to the nicest house in town. Okay? The next one would be in, in a section 8 house. Okay? But both people, both made in God's image, That's right. both have value. That's right. Both got ham. <laughs> so my dad, both got ham. I my love dad that. and I would, yeah. would deliver, uh, <laughs> deliver those hams. And so that that has nothing to do with anything good I've done. I was just so fortunate and blessed to have that formative experience uh, in my childhood. So mm. that, that was literally a day in the life. Like I had to go to the store. I would have to do my homework. Yeah. They didn't care if people were barking. They didn't care if there were distractions. It was like, get it done. I appreciate that they held me to a high standard and had high expectations. Right. I think you do people a favor when yep. you have high expectations of yep. them. Um, but then you have to do the work to support them and love them. Uh, as they try to meet them. Mm. Uh, so then it'd be stocking shelves, delivery, making change, <laughs> you know, million stories in between. Oh, I, I can't imagine. So so now let's, let's kind of, you're working in the store, you're, you're getting things and doing your homework, but it, learning a lot of life lessons yes. in that store. And uh, and now you're, a you know, you're in junior high. Yep. Uh, anything change? You're still in the store? What's going on now? Let's mm. say you're 13, 14-ish. Yeah. yeah. So John is about to to tell us some things from a vulnerable standpoint, but also from a learning standpoint. And this is really interesting. So I wanted you to lean in here. I've had a very strange pattern in my life where in in fifth grade and in the freshman year of high school and in the freshman year of college, I felt very alone and mm. isolated and kind of like the outcast, the guy who was easy to pick on. Uh, I experienced all of that. And then in eighth grade, I feel like I have all these friends. The senior year of high school, I was the student body president. Uh, I went to Ole Miss my senior year of college. And look, I'm from Alabama. I didn't pledge a fraternity. And how I ended up student body president at Ole Miss I don't know. You know, I don't know. But I say that to say I had this experience where I felt like there were times where I didn't have a table to sit at at lunch. And then there were times where I couldn't figure out which table to sit at. Wow. And so, again, that's not anything meritorious about me. It's just experience but it gave me it it reaffirmed that whole idea of why you try to treat people the same way 
because you see you get treated differently sometimes based on whether you don't have a place to sit or whether you've got 25 places to sit based on whether, you know, you're not invited to a party versus you're you don't have to be on the invite list. You just tell them you're there and they take you in. You sometimes get treated differently. And again, it just showed me how we all can feel so insecure because our circumstances may drive how we're treated. But if you have people in your life who are going to treat you the exact same, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've accomplished, there's a security there that I think then attracts other people um, because they trust you yeah. because you trust yourself. Yeah, well, you're authentic, aren't you? And yes. I love what you said, and you trust yourself. That That's really where trust begins, isn't it? Um, finding that trust in yourself so that others can trust you. Yes. I think that's amazing. And John, you were... You were talking about those times in your life where you were alone. You you were you know thinking, "Wow, this is hard." Unfortunately, uh, for me, those are the times when I tend to learn the most. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I like to I'm, I'm like I like to learn some things when things are going good. Yeah. That'd be nice. Me too. But I, but I tend to learn from hard times. Obviously, the 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 lesson of everyone is of value was really taught to you in that time. Mm. What else did you learn during those mm. hard times? Mm. Where to start? Um, <laughs> I'll say this. I never felt stronger in my faith or closer to God than in those hard times. Uh, some of those times coincided with mm. my dad having mm. um, epileptic seizures. They coincided with my mom dying when mm. I was 19. Uh, I later lost my dad by the time I was 35. But in terms of of what I learned, especially looking back on it now, you know, I think the first thing that I learned is we have to come to peace. I have to come to peace. So easy to tell everyone else what we have to do. I have to come to terms and to peace with the fact that there are circumstances I cannot control. Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't manage them. I can't engineer them. I may not even be able to mitigate them. So when when life hits you hard, and I feel like life is hitting a lot of people really hard right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. there's people who feel like, I was going to have this job, and they don't. They feel like, well, I've got this job, and I thought my life was going to be this way, and now it isn't. And there are people who feel like, my relationships they're not strong. Mm. They're non-existent. I think that's driving. I don't think it's anger out there. I think it's hurt. I think yeah. it's pain. I think it's disappointment. And and I think that we need to be mm. thinking about what does it mean to lead in that environment, particularly when we all now have the ability to curate our world around us, regardless of our circumstances. So what does it mean to lead? in an environment, in a world where people are hurting, where they're disappointed, um, where they're scared? Great question uh, posed by John here. And so my point is what you said. I mean, you're somebody who has developed a globally known leadership assessment. You've built a firm and a company right here in Decatur that works all over the world, you know, and yet your go-to are like the hard times are where I learned. Yeah. So when these circumstances are pounding pounding us, because that's what it feels that's like, right. when life is overwhelming us, are we going to just push back in futility and anger? 
or are we going to try to accept it as an opportunity to learn and to patiently endure? Mm. That's so good. And I don't say that to lecture anyone, no. but when you feel like you're in this persistent, pointless pain of disappointment, right? you see it just suck the life out of people. That's right. They don't see any purpose in it. Yeah. But there is purpose. It can make you more resilient. It can teach you new lessons. It can remind you of what there is to be grateful for, you know? And that doesn't diminish the pain people are going through. Right. No. It doesn't. It doesn't It doesn't mean that pain is not very real, very valid, and it's always hard. It's hard. But it doesn't have to be pointless. Mm. Purpose in the pain. Yes. Well said. Wow. That's great. That is that is brilliant and, and so rich and good for all of us to hear because I think you're right. There is a there are just a ton of hurt right now, and uh, we do get to choose whether or not we find purpose in our pain, even if we don't get to choose if we go through it. Yes, you know, brilliant wisdom. Thank you, John. Sure. So we're we're now we're kind of progressing, and I want to you know I want to kind of talk about those teenage years and kind of what you went through, and so take us through John the teenager now. What does that look like? Yeah, man. Um, achievement oriented. Uh, closed off to relationship Mm. Um, go 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 achieve 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 Um, initially when I went through that first phase of feeling like I just had no friends and then feeling like I had as many friends as I wanted to have Mm -hmm. I tied that to what I was accomplishing so I didn't have any fundamental sense of value or worth or any of that stuff. I just thought if you accomplish things, then that's when people accept you. Mm. And I wanted to be accepted. Right. I like having sure. friends. Yeah. I like being invited to go out. And and I think achievement was an idol uh, in my life. Mm. Mm. And it was strange because being isolated, I had a lot of compassion for people who I retained that compassion for people who were being left out. So my senior year of high school, I found myself seeking out the freshmen, just how you doing? How's it going? Um, In Oxford, the night I found out I had won the student body presidency, we had this guy in a, a different branch of the government Nice guy, had kind of some disabilities, most well-meaning, intentioned guy you've ever met in your life. Nice guy, just really good guy. A little different. Right, right. And he had been one of the people who had helped in my campaign, and he's standing along, like, outside all the fraternity rows, sorority row people who had also helped. But my favorite part of that whole year is after we found out the results, someone gave me a key to the office. And so when everyone kind of dissipated and everyone's going to go wherever we're going to go, he and I were still standing there outside the student union at Ole Miss. And so we went up to the office and I opened the door and there's the desk and there's two chairs just like here. So I let him sit behind the desk and I sat here (laughs) and he was just so happy. He has such a good, you know, a good feel for that. And he really enjoyed it. So it helped me not to lose the 
that that compassion because I remember how it felt to feel like I don't fit in. Okay, but then in parallel to all of that, I was depending on achievement to be my foundation. Mm. Not God, not a sense of right. authenticity, none of that. I just I was disconnected from people and relationship and I, I had a lot of t- hard time forming that. I'd have people tell me they felt very close to me. I didn't feel close to anyone. Um, so it was tough. It was lonely uh, looking back on it. Yeah. And what a great story that, that you really you had the self-awareness at least to know that and, mm-hmm. and to let him sit in that chair. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, that's beautiful. Well, and I remember people had done that for me. So let's not forget that. Like mm-hmm. in my times of being, Again, I didn't come down with some superior sense of morality or righteousness. <laughs> when, when I had right, no I love friends, it. Love it, John. my freshman year of high school mm-hmm. and the homecoming queen and her, her boyfriend were kind to me when no one else was, that spoke to me. You know, when I start, started to get to hang out with the cheerleaders or whatever, and they were kind, that spoke to me. So again, it's not because of my own righteousness or morality. I think God was gracious to give me a model of right now you're in the corner, you're alone, you're isolated. And these people who have everything in the world are taking time to care for you. So mm. I don't want to forget the role. I've actually never thought about that until just now. Wow. When you asked, so I appreciate that question. It's really a, a great practice for us to, to to do. Think about what you've learned in life, what's been given to you. How has someone demonstrated care for you uh, so that you can in turn uh, give it to others? Or are we in turn giving to others? Great questions uh, posed by John. Could I probe just a little bit? You mentioned a few minutes ago your mom died yeah. when you were 19. Yeah. Can you walk us through some of that? It was tough. Um, I came home for Christmas break. I think that she she died February 11th of 98. So I came home Christmas break of 97. And, you know, she was just saying her, her stomach hurt. She had had a car wreck recently. And since the car wreck, her stomach hurt. But it kept persisting. It was strange enough that people um, said, you know, you need to go back to the doctor aside from the car accident checkup. And she goes back and they say, uh, you've got stage four colon cancer. Wow. And um, mm. so I come home to find this out when, the day they told us. And, you know, I'm 19. Like, what does that mean? You know, like, well, she she has months to live. Well, this is January and it turned out to be weeks. And so oh my goodness. We, we lost her. It was so quick. Um, and again, just back to what do you do with that? So I, I dropped out of school for a semester. I moved here. I took some classes at UAH. Um, I couldn't sleep. No. Just the shock of it. Right. Uh, my little brother and I just, it was hard to navigate. My dad suddenly is uh, single. All of these things were going on. And, you know, how that hit my grandmother and her, you know, my mom's brothers and all of those people, it's happening simultaneously. And it just, looking back on it, in the moment, I was just trying to survive and get some sleep. But looking back on it, it did give me this sense of, you hear it all the time, but I know there's a lot that's hard. 
I, I relate. Most of my days feel hard. Mm. Like the conscious feeling I have most days is one of struggle. Right. It's not of ease or comfort or yeah. cruise control. It's like we're trying to start something. <laughs> right. We're trying to help a business get off the ground, whatever it is. But it gave me that sense of when, when they say a day is a gift, when, when they say a day, you know, remember the things that, you know, acknowledge the things that have happened to you mm. that are hard. But maybe every once in a while, I should be thinking about the things I've been spared. Yeah. So a day being a gift, it, it really cemented that. And it also gave me this term freaks people out, the kind of a deathbed mentality. And mm. what, what I mean by that Talk is about that. I'm making a decision today in 2022. How am I likely to look back on that if I'm on my deathbed one day thinking about it? Wow. A day is a gift and deathbed mentality. Those are really strong things for us to think about to help us to be better, not just as leaders, but as people. How do I analyze that decision? Wow, that's good. Not in the immediacy of this social media microwave age, not even in the context of the next three months, but in the context of the life that, that I think we're called to live. And, you know, there's the decisions we're making. There's the decisions we're not making. There's the time we spend acting. How much time are we spending reflecting? How much time are we spending? Okay, stop the show for a minute. And so really soon after that, I don't know when, probably sometime in my mid-20s, I started going away for two days every six months. And I have a list and I'm reflecting. And it's funny now because every July 1st and December 1st, you know, my wife will say, like, I, it's, it's time for you to go to your little thing. It's time like, to go. Yeah, you need to get <laughs> out of here. Thing. You know, just I can tell, like, just go get your two days. You know, just get out of here. <laughs> and, you, and you go reflect. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's active. I mean, there's a list. You know, there's faith, family, career, health, finances, social, all of it. And I'm just, I'm trying to process what's happening. I write about it. And then I, I'll leave with some action steps and my goal is mm. to get that done in the uh, next six months. That's so good. Oh, so it's, it's, I would, I just, you know, when you're riding in a really nice car and you're on the interstate and then you look up, you're like, whoa, we're going 105. We've got to slow down. <laughs> Like, and it felt very no normal and nice and comfortable. But, you know, you're in a, a Lexus or whatever right. car, right? Right. I feel like that's our culture right now where we've normalized going 105. Wow, that's good. And we're not, that's not necessarily healthy. Mm -mm. And, and just reacting and going mm -mm. fast all the time. Right. Like, where are we going? Why are we going there? Right. What's our pace? What's our pace? So good. Um, so I have to ask you this. Yeah. Uh, where do you go to reflect? Like my place is the <laughs> beach. I, I can go for long beach. Yeah. You know, in my, in my history, I've made most of my major decisions yeah. at the beach. It renews my soul, kind yeah. of what you're saying. Sure. Where is your place? <laughs> I got a Coleman. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Hey, for those of you who don't know where Coleman is that are listening, it's like I know, 157, like the back of my hand in Coleman, Alabama. And what are you I, doing? Coleman? I don't know. I get a hotel. 
And, and I go there. Coleman. Yes. I don't know why. Don't ask. I, you know what? I'll tell you why. I think I know why. <laughs> I need it. I, you can't do it where you live. Truth. You just got to get out of where you live. Truth. I don't want to spend all my time driving and only got two days. Right. Only two days. So, so you got to go Coleman. But what? <laughs> and I mean, it's not that you can't go north towards well, Spring could go Hill or something. Spring Hill. You know? And, yeah. And I'm not saying I never would. But, but you also, you know, there, it's time to... Like when I'm reading the Bible, I read it too fast. I'm yeah. just in this 105 mode. So when I go to Coleman, I can read it slowly. I can absorb the words. I can let them sink in. And I'm not some holier than thou. Like I'll go watch a game. Right. I'll go shoot basketball. Yeah. I'll go watch a movie. Something. Yeah. yeah I'll read a book. I'll rest. But man, when, when you stop for... Just stop one day for 20 minutes, just, and then you'll see how fast you're going. So just try that. What great advice by John to reflect, just to stop. Stop for 20 minutes. Um, he takes a couple of days and goes to Coleman. <laughs> but what do we do to reflect? What do we do to stop uh, Stop the show? Uh, it's, it's worth thinking about. Great advice. Unfortunately, we need to turn this thing, but can we, let's, let's do this. We want to have you back and continue oh, talking. You. you have such great wisdom and such insight, but I want to make sure we honor what you're doing now. So tell us just a little bit about what you're doing and the good work you're doing with the East Center right now. You have some neat things I think you guys are working oh, on. Thank you. And I'd say it's, it's, I appreciate that. It's the good work the community is doing. Those entrepreneurs at the East Center, our business incubator, who are the heroes of that story, really. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and at the same time, we're doing things incubators don't do. So one of our programs is the Best and Brightest Initiative. It's the first comprehensive incentive package in the country for recruiting, not companies, nothing against that, but this is for people. This is an incentive package for STEM uh, professionals uh, to say, look, we've got a lot of great people in Decatur. You know, a lot who've done things globally, like I mentioned about you earlier. We want as many of those as we can get. Mm. So we have traditionally focused on recruiting engineers. Uh, we're really excited. We're talking with the school system about partnering with them to help recruit more teachers mm. to join the great ones we already have. It's awesome. Hospital to help recruit nurses to join the great ones we already have. So, you know, these are the kind of things that are happening in Decatur. To your point earlier, before we were talking, these are the things. This is the story of Decatur we need to tell, right? Um, because we have an amazing story to tell. Mm. We really do. And as a kind of a testimony, if you will, to your leadership, you guys, th this East Center that incubates businesses—that's that's what what you do. You're number one, number one in the state in, in a couple of areas. Is that right? We've been very fortunate. Last year, we were uh, number one overall uh, for the number of companies graduated, number mm -hmm. two overall for the number of current clients we have. Wow. And this year, I think we'll be the only incubator in the state uh, to be ranked top two in both those categories. But again, that's a testament to that's the community. Awesome. And it's a testament to the work that Larry Way and many others who preceded me did to build the Incubators Foundation. So again, we're part of a larger tapestry here, part of a larger story. And I just feel fortunate to be part of a very entrepreneurial community and to try to, you know, we want to serve you as best we can. John, I love your humility and, and your servant leadership model. I think it's, um, it's just really incredible and, and quite inspiring. Can I ask you one more question before we before we have to yeah, end, this, end this our time sure. together? If you were to, to 
speak to aspirational leaders, these, these young leaders who are trying to make it, or maybe someone's just changing careers in the, in, in the, maybe in the mid season of their life. What would you tell? What are a few things from a leadership perspective you would say, you know, here are a couple of things you need to know. Yeah. What, what would you say to them? Boy, I'm, I'm rethinking that in Coleman a good bit. <laughs> in Coleman. <laughs> right. Go to, go to Coleman. Act it out here. You got to act here. Um, you know, it, it, there's a, I'd say three things. Okay. Number one, rethink what it means to lead in an age where people have 10 million more words a day coming at them Mm. than they ever have through text, social media, TV, email, meetings, you know, down the line, you've got 10 million more words a day. 10 million, 10 million more words coming at us than we ever have before. Just think about that, how inundated we are with words. So we all know supply and demand. If the, if you weren't looking for an additional 1 million words in your life every day, and you've got an additional 10 million words in your life, what's the relative value of words anymore? That is so good. So how, how you act was always the... The, the ball game. We've all seen the people who can say the right things. You see them behind closed doors and they're not doing it. You don't trust that person as a leader. Right. But what you do matters so much more mm. than it ever has because words are abundant. Words are everywhere now. Uh, number two, rethinking assumptions. Like, for example, you show up to not you, but just in general, Mm -hmm. leaders out there. I'm talking to to all of you out there who are listening. You're showing up to motivate people, right? And you've got your message. You've got your tactics. You've got your strategy. You know, the question we're not asking, are are y'all willing to be motivated anymore? Mm. (laughs) Like, when is the last time you were ever sustainably and deeply motivated and encouraged and bold and excited about what was ahead in a time when people are tired or they're hurting or they're disappointed do do, does your audience have the emotional wherewithal right now to be motivated the emotional wherewithal to be motivated not not are you going to be motivated but can you do you have the ability right now or is there too much hurt too much pain too much fear it's a great perspective to think about or do you need to talk to them first and let them understand that you understand that they're not coming here from quote unquote the normal life you thought you had had and now i want you to take me to the next level a lot of people feel like they're having to fight and scratch and claw just to have what they considered normal life. Yeah. Now, I think perspective matters here. Should we all run to the Ukraine and tell them how hard we have it? All right. Mm. Um, I think gratitude can lessen some of that pain and hurt people are feeling. But at the same time, they do have everyone has legitimate struggles right. that they are that they are, are working through, including the people who are 
looking so great on LinkedIn. <laughs> I know them, you know them. They have their problems too. Right. It's just that no one wants to hear about it, right. yet they're hurting as well. So I would not just assume everyone is in a posture to be motivated or encouraged. You've got to get them back to even remembering what that felt like mm. because they've been busting it for two years just to tread water. Mm. And then the final thing I would say, you know, in a time when people are increasingly have been isolated, all the community metrics, you know, better than I do Mm -hmm. have declined. Yeah. What does it mean to connect people to something larger than themselves? Mm. That's not even a concept that is on the radar screen for people who are growing up on a phone. What does that mean how do you how do you not connect them to a concept larger than themselves? That's not what I'm saying. At that point, you just are picking your vision or your cause. I'm saying, how do you talk to people about what it means to be connected to wow. anything at all? Yeah. Beyond your immediate needs and wants and preferences. I don't think you can assume that people are just ready and able to go be connected. I think we all want to be, even if you don't know you want to be. Right. But we need I th- to be. But I think you've got to meet people where they are, mm. and you've got to present the contrast. Mm. Like, you've lived life in a significant level of isolation that you thought was normal and healthy and just how it is. It's not. There's another way to live. There's another way to participate. Mm. There's another way to engage. So, you know, I think the common denominator there is don't assume people are in a posture to be led. Don't assume that people are in a place where they can be led. Uh, such great wisdom and insight. The, these questions that John, uh, that he is raising, are are truly worth your time and my time to fully reflect on and to think about such rich, deep uh, thought processing going on right here by John. Meet them where so they are, good. show them that they understand, and then don't think in terms of leading, t- as you will well know, think in terms of serving them. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have an opportunity to connect. John, 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 I asked you about what you could give us tips for a young aspirational leader, and you've given us amazingly depth, deep tips for everyone. Everyone needs to hear these issues. You've articulated perhaps one of the largest dilemmas that we have faced, uh, certainly in my lifetime, in the leadership arena, and that is how do we teach connection in this age of phones and iPads and computers to 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 those around us um, and the the assumptions and and thinking about our actions when we have 10 million words that, that's something I'm gonna have to well maybe I need to go to Coleman and think about that <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I love this this is just wonderful well, stuff thank you thank Honored you to have me thank you thank you for being with us today true leader true servant leader a man of depth and uh, integrity and a, a true uh, making a true impact and not only in this community but uh, way beyond that so thank you for pouring into the lives of people let's do this again well thank you and thanks for everything you and your team are doing too it, it means a lot and i really appreciate you having me well that was a shocker i gotta tell you i thought i was gonna interview this you know incredible business leader who was an attorney and and had all kind of accomplishments and achievements and i did but what i didn't anticipate 
was the EQ, the emotional intelligence that John has and that he was willing to share with us through his struggles, through the loss of his mother and then later his dad, through the isolation and loneliness that he felt and how vulnerable he was to talk about what he learned from that. His humility truly was inspirational. Uh, I really learned so much and and those takeaways that he just articulated I hope you took the time to, to really capture those, to rethink what it means to lead in a culture where we are saturated with 10 million words, that our actions really do matter because we have so many words in our life, to, to rethink assumptions and, and ask that, that question, you know, uh, is our team really capable, willing, desiring to be motivated? Are they emotionally able to handle that? And then. What does it mean to really connect with people who have lived their lives, many grown up, on the phone, on the iPad, on the computer? What does it mean to to connect uh, in in a relationship? So, thought-provoking questions. Uh, I am so glad we had this, this interview. I hope that you were challenged. I hope that really it caused you to think about reflecting in your own life. I know I will do that. I will go back and reflect on these things, and I know it's going to make me stronger and better, and I hope it makes you stronger and better too. Thank you for crossing the line with us as we make a difference in the lives of others.